because I've been through it. I know I understand the sports game and I understand that you have to win and you have to be productive. And if you're not as a coach, then they're going to find somebody that will be, or at least that will, you know, try to do better than you. And so I hope all coaches can take that from this deal is that, you know, loyalty is a fickle thing when you're talking about coaching. Uh, usually it's just the player, the coaches to the players in this school. And, you know, hopefully it's reciprocated, but uh, that can deteriorate quickly. But, you know, family, that's uh that's that's a type that's a tight bond right there that doesn't need to be uh, should not be minimized and should not take a backseat to anything else. Once you start feeling too good about things, you know something is going to happen. It tests really, I think your mental and emotional toughness. I'm not saying you have to tough through everything, but you have to deal with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host Max Price. Welcome aboard here to episode number fifty. The clocks have changed, the snow is starting to arrive, fall sports playoffs are in full swing, and winter sports are on their way. It's an exciting time for so many of you coaches out there, and it's been really fun to see your tweets and posts as you share your stories. Good luck to all of you in the playoffs and to all of you starting your winter seasons. If you're listening to this in its first couple days of release, please be sure to join me at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, November 14th for the HS Coaches Club chat on Twitter. High school sports matter, and that's why we're all here. Thanks for being a huge part of this amazing community of learners. And a giant thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are gigantic markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout this country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline's trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get 25 bucks off their first year of Driveline Plus using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. You can also find the link down in the show notes. As a Plus member myself for quite a number of years, I seriously cannot recommend it enough. In this episode, I'm joined by the head football coach of Greenup County High School in Kentucky, Zach Moore. I was drawn to Coach Moore after I read a phenomenal story about his team's football game. When he left to make it to a different football game across town to join his daughter for her homecoming ceremony. 
And in today's world, where high school sports are sometimes trotted out as being almost more important than family, Zach is living proof that you can prioritize your family while still making a difference in your student-athletes' lives. It's possible. He's going to help you see why and how. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 54 with Zach Moore. All right, I'm joined by Zach Moore. Zach, thanks for joining the show. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. This is a weird one for me because when, and my buddies will get a good kick out of this, because when we were uh, in like middle school, high school times, we, it was back in the days when if we wanted to play PlayStation, you had to all be in the same room and connect four controllers and everything. And uh, we played this tennis video game and you could create your own characters. And for whatever reason, when I was like 12, I created a character named Zach Moore and he was he was my he was my ace serving guy and and I played this video game tennis game with my buddies for probably like 6 years and so when they see this pop up and see Zach Moore they'll probably think I'm making it up well I'm real I don't know if they'll believe that or not but uh if you maybe if I just change my name and introduce me as Zachary or something I don't know maybe that'll help you out yeah. Anyway, so just kind of a funny coincidence. And uh, anyway, like I said, off air, really excited to have you on. Um, just in, in, in as we you know start to get to know each other and everything, just really excited. I've seen um, a lot of your, your things and tweets. And obviously, there's a story that came out that we'll get into that ultimately um, led me to reaching out to you. But um, there was one tweet that I kind of wanted to start the show off with today. And it was one from, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And you said something along the lines of like, it's really easy to blame officials. And if you choose to like blame officials, you're basically doing it out of ignorance. What did you mean by that? Right. I just think it's the lack of personal accountability or professional accountability by a coach to, that the first knee jerk reaction is always to blame officials for a loss or a poor performance. Now, I think that there are instances where poor officiating can just uh, make a poor performance worse or maybe it happens at an inopportune time in the game and maybe they should have kept their flag in their pocket or maybe they should have done things a different way. But, you know, as an example, last night, you know, we played our final game and, uh, you know, we were beat on the field and, but, you know, there was, you know, I had moment where I thought the, you know, the officiating didn't do, <laughs> the official didn't do the job I thought he should be doing and <laughs> yeah. definitely didn't, didn't, didn't agree. Uh, but that's certainly not the reason at any point in the game that I think anybody loses. I, I just – I think it's irresponsible for a coach to always look for somebody else to blame rather than looking inward first. I find myself too – like I don't know if you feel like this, but if you ever go to a game as a spectator, um, especially like high school games, it's really hard – I have a really hard time sitting in the stands um, because a lot of times the people in the stands are just so focused on the officials that – you're just like, well, there's an entire game going on that doesn't even really involve the officials. And it's really hard for me to like be around that and just hear all these people complaining about every single thing an official does or doesn't do. I agree completely. My wife and I do not sit with really anybody other than our immediate family at these games. And we have been known to distance ourselves from them <laughs> if we needed to. Uh, so she's she has uh, been around uh, football and coaching and just sports now with our children long enough where she's adopted the same mentality. And we just, ah, it's hard. It is. It's hard to sit around people that are always looking for the first convenient excuse to make rather than saying, Hey, you know, my kid uh, can't handle the ball very well. You yeah, know, so it's just things yeah. like that. So, I mean, it's a hard truth to tell yourself that maybe, maybe my kid just isn't what I thought they were, but, uh, or, you know, 
numerous other things, but I, I stand by that tweet right there. Yeah, well, I, you know, I read it and it, it really jived with me because I think as adults so much, especially as coaches of high school kids, so much of our effort and energy is put into trying to help kids understand that you, you can control what you can control. And it's kind of a cliche, but it is reality. And it's really easy, especially in a game, to get sucked into a bad call and let that ruin the next play that you're going to make or maybe even the entire quarter or, God forbid, the entire game. And so it just kind of bleeds into everything else. And so, um, yeah, seeing that tweet, I was like, yeah, that's that's spot on for me. Um, I wanted to go back to your own high school days and kind of start there. So can you take me back to, to where you went to high school and what your own uh, playing experience was like? Oh gosh, this is uh, the, as the years go on, it gets foggier <laughs> and foggier. Or maybe I get better and better too. So <laughs> maybe that's yeah. the good part about it. Um, uh, I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, and then they're in Eastern Tennessee. Excuse me, East Tennessee, and um, I played at a high school. Carter High School was my uh, in Strawberry Plains, Tennessee. You know, if a name like Strawberry Plains, you can tell that we weren't exactly inside the city. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, and I had a good experience with athletics my entire life. Uh, you know, my dad was a, an athlete. He played college football and always encouraged all four of our, all four of his children to participate in as much as possible. And in high school, I was fortunate enough to be able to play all three sports, the major sports, football, basketball, and, and baseball, and enjoyed every single moment of every single uh, season. In fact, I, and if I could have done more, I would have. Yeah, I was going to say, did you did you end up going to play in college, or was high school where your your playing career ended? No, I was I was able to. I walked on at Moorhead State University, which is where my parents graduated from. It's up here in Northeast Kentucky, you know, where I am now, and it's it was it worked out great for me. It was kind of what I needed at the time that I needed it, and it was the best decision at that point that I had made in my life. Did you end up – I know you ended up coaching at Moorhead State. Is that when you realized you wanted to coach, or did you know earlier in your life that coaching is something you wanted to get into? I think I knew it earlier. I just searching for a way to do it. I mean, I was one of those people that out of high school, I was I was a little bit of a screw-up. I wasn't a very disciplined student and in high school, just did enough to get by and an underachiever in that area and uh, continued to underachieve academically for – about a year and a half after I was out of high school. So it was kind of my Moorhead State and walking on football was sort of my last, uh, it was my last opportunity to try to make it work. And fortunately, I got my act together enough to be able to do that. And so I just had to find a, a major that allowed me to coach because I didn't know I wanted to be involved in sports. So I, I bounced anywhere from history to, I mean, I think a hot minute in exercise science. No, it's all way too much math and science and that for me. So I ended up in health and physical education. That's where I stayed. That's funny. I did uh, my freshman year of college. I thought for a minute that I could get into exercise science too. And I took like this survey course that was like your first semester freshman year just to see if it's something you'd be interested in. And they bring in different uh, guest speakers every week. And it was just like an hour a night every every week, just one time. And it took me about two weeks to realize like this is this is way over my head. This is not something I can do either. No, I, I really did well to pass my you know kinesiology and exercise physiology classes that I had the few that I had to take <laughs> for my health and PE degree. So it's uh, it, like it's worked out for me really well, and 
allows you to be in the sports environment. And that's where, you know, if you're a physical education teacher, you should be helping coach some sport, at least one. Did you find, well, you had mentioned a second ago, and I think it rings true for a lot of people. It seems like a lot of teachers, especially at the high school level, for whatever reason, if they, you know, when they go back and talk about themselves as a high school student, they weren't really like the prototypical high school student. And I think in a lot of ways that ends up being an advantage when you end up working with kids because maybe you can connect with the kids who are struggling a little bit more. Do you find that to be true too? I'm not sure if that is it's a good way to put it, but I think more so it's, uh, I think we learn more from our failures. And as a failure, as a student, I believe that um, it, you know, it, it allows me to maybe mentor or guide students uh, away from where I was, especially as a coach and the players and kids on your team. I mean, it's, I've used myself as an example of what not to do several times. And it's not as much with the kids that are failing as much as the ones that are really intelligent and good students and they're, but they're underachieving. And that's, it was, a, that's a regret of mine. And I try to get them not to make the same mistakes as well as my own children here at home. I'm not one of those guys, dads that lied about having straight A's in high school. Cause I mean, if the, you know, it's, I'd be struck by lightning if I were. Well, it's a good point too. And it's something that a lot of coaches have said to me on this, this show too, is that idea of, like if you can go back and give yourself advice as a young coach and help yourself through some things. But like you just mentioned, part of it is that you have to make those mistakes yourself in order to really understand and learn from them. And maybe going back and giving yourself advice wouldn't really work out because you had to go through whatever mistakes you had to go through in order to become who you are today. I agree completely. My younger self would never listen to me. <laughs> That's a good point too. So you're, uh, you know, you've obviously come a little while since then. Not, I'm not calling you old, but I'm just saying you've you've had a path since then. Um, so you can can you kind of take me from uh, your playing days at Moorhead State to where you are now, and just kind of what the path was from from A to B. Well, uh, again, I walked on at Moorhead State, and I was able to play there, and I was a graduate assistant coach, as well as a uh, part time assistant. Uh, if my memory serves me now for three, three seasons. And uh, then I was able to fill in a full-time slot. And when one came available and I stayed there all the way through, again, I'm, I'm going through it in my mind, I believe the 2006 season. So I coached at Moorhead State from 1999 to 2006 and where I moved on. I finally got a coordinator opportunity at a brand new program here in the town where I live, Kentucky Christian University, and was able to uh, hook up with a good friend of mine that was the head coach. And I served as the defense coordinator and assistant head coach. And then he left to take a job at Eastern Kentucky University, and I was elevated to the head coaching position. was not one bit ready to be a head football coach (laughs) at any level, but I was there, and it was my job. So uh, after – about a season and a half of a very rocky road and for a lot of different factors, which probably is another hour show at least, um, you know, I was dismissed. I was fired. And then the following year I had my first opportunity uh, to be a head high school coach, served at East Carter High School here in Northeast Kentucky from 2011 to 2014. And then I went back to Moorhead State as an assistant. And I ended up being the defense coordinator there until after the 2017 season. And then uh, just because some of the things we're going to talk about today with, uh, you know, the the time and the, uh, 
the experience and the journey of life there, I bowed out. Uh, of course, we left on good, very good terms, but I needed to be other places. So I took went back to high school teaching. Uh, I wasn't planning on coaching, but it ended up that I was uh, an assistant for a, a kid that I say kid, I mean, he's about 32 <laughs> years old now, but that I had recruited when I was at Kentucky Christian and he was the head coach at a local high school and I helped him. And before, two years later, after, you know, the two guys really that were in line to get that job or had that job left, there I was. And so now I'm the head coach again. I wasn't planning on being, but um, this is my second season, just finished my second season last night as the head coach here at Greenham County High School. That's right. And that's a, it's a great, great way to take us kind of through it pretty succinctly. And, um, you know, obviously, like you said, we'll get into a few of the things that, that you got into, but, um, let's start with green up now. So you're at Greenup County high school. You've been there for a few years, obviously two years as the head coach. Now, um, for those who have no idea where it is, what it's like, can you just give us the rundown of, um, I don't know, give us the synopsis of what Greenup County high school is all about. Uh, Greenham County High School is in Northeast Kentucky. It's right at the school. We are right on the Ohio River, right on the Ohio-Kentucky border. Uh, we're less than a, about a stone's throw from a bridge that goes right across the river into Ohio. It is about as Northeast Kentucky as you can get in Northeast Kentucky. <laughs> uh, it's a very rural county. Uh, we're in, It's a very large geographical, as far as area goes, uh, county. A lot of our uh, students you know, drive up where near 40, 45 minutes mm. to school. Uh, there are also two smaller, what we call independent school districts. Uh, so the, you know, the quote unquote towns and bigger towns in our county uh, have their own school system. So we pull from, I don't say the outskirts, but we're talking some very rural area in Northeast Kentucky. And so um, we have about approximately 900 students or sometimes a little over, sometimes a little under. So we're a decent sized school for our area here. Um, and, and that's about all that. Like, I don't have all the demographics in front of me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a very, impo- it's, I'm going to say very impoverished, but we're in a fairly impoverished area just because of the lack of industry, you know, coal and along the river and the things that used to coal used to drive in Northeast Kentucky, all the way down to Southeastern Kentucky are almost gone. Hmm. So the population here has declined just like it has in Appalachia, and there are several areas in Appalachia. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge, but again, we've got, it's like, like everywhere. And when there are kids that from range from one end to the uh, one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of schools are, are really similar to that where sometimes you can have someone, you know, student pulling in with like a $50,000 truck. And then you have other kids who uh, they're, I don't think their family combined um, has, has, even owned a vehicle and a ride in buses and um, kind of what we deal with as I think high school teachers and coaches, you just get kids from all different walks of life. You mentioned a few kids are probably driving like 45 minutes or so to school. Are you, are you close to that school or are you driving quite a ways as well? I drive 30 minutes one way. It's not bad for me at all. I'm lucky. I live right here along. It's not along the interstate, but very close to it. So it's very accessible for me. So I live, you know, if you have 10, 15 minutes closer than, some of the kids at the school and I don't even live in Greenup County. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. Um, so obviously you mentioned you spent a couple seasons there. Um, you even said you, you, you didn't really plan on coaching, but it just kind of, kind of happened. And so you spent a couple years as an assistant and then ultimately took over as the head coach in, in early 2020. And obviously, like you said, just finished up your, your 2021 season just last night. 
So when you took over the program, they, you know, it's Zach, you're, you're the head coach now. What were some of your first moves that you made when you became the head coach? Well, to hit on some of the major points, number one, we felt like we, we needed to be aligned. We needed to have better alignment between all levels of football in Greenup County from our uh, what we call JFL or junior football leagues through our middle school all the way up to the high school program. And building a football community has been something we have really put a lot of effort and money into and continue to do so. And it's you know, it's going to be a process that takes a while, but we were already seeing progress in that direction. And so we're just going to keep building off the things that have uh, you know been successful there and continue to identify ways we can make it better. But that was the major emphasis overall of football at Greenup County that we wanted to attack when we got the job. And you had previously been at a couple different schools you mentioned as a head coach, Kentucky Christian and East Carter. Um, kind of, I don't know, the word rebuild is never something I like too much because it's not necessarily fair to the kids who are there right then. But um, for lack of a better word, I'll use the word rebuild. You've been a part of a couple in your time where you've you've kind of come in and tried to help kind of um, – uh, re, you know, rebuild things up, build things up and, and try to make things a little bit better than, than when you got there. So you have a little bit of experience with that. Yeah, I do. I think more experience than if you tell somebody going in, they're going to have, they probably run the other <laughs> direction. Uh, but uh, Kelly, my wife, she had a perfect phrase for this. A lot of times I've been the bridge. <laughs> I've been the guy that maybe um, I haven't reaped maybe some of the rewards of some of the work that we've done, but somebody that's come along next has and at least been able to build on some of the good things that we were able to do. And that's just, you know, sometimes that's just, that's, that's your role. That's your role in life or your role in, you know, your job or whatever it may be. And so I think it was with all things, you just have to see the positives and the things you've been able to do. And I think that's a positive. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow when you're not, you know, reaping those rewards yourself, but um, you know, coaching isn't always about, you know, you have to see a big picture, as you well know. Yeah, that's something I've seen in a number of the tweets you've had before, too, is that idea that I think a lot of coaches, maybe not younger coaches, you know, stereotypically, but I mean, younger coaches, for lack of a better idea, um, tend to get really sucked up into the sport itself. So coaching baseball or football or lacrosse or whatever. And as you're kind of alluding to, when you actually start coaching people and there's other human beings in front of you, it ends up being a lot more about coaching people than it is actually coaching a sport itself, especially when you're kind of a head coach of a program. Uh, there's a lot less coaching of a sport and a lot more just trying to help human beings, uh, not just your players, but your, your assistant coaches, too. Yeah, not to dehumanize people, you know, because of course, you know, every you know face has a name, but it's managing people, in my opinion. It's like you said, it's managing not only the players in your roster, but your assistant coaches. It's the parents and families of those people. It's the teachers in the school that have a big impact on the players, which I think is a very underrated uh, source of support that you can rally and really make a can have a positive impact on players. And then, of course, it's the fans. You know, and fan is short for fanatic. So it's sometimes it's more, it's easier to deal with than others. But managing people is what being a head coach is about. And then really any leadership position, I suppose. But uh, specifically, since we're talking about coaching, uh, anybody that's been a head coach knows that's the truth. 
Yeah, for sure. When you talk about um, organizing the program, you mentioned when you took over that, you know, obviously having better alignment through the younger levels um, was, was something that you felt was really important. And I, I completely agree with you with not just trying to rebuild programs, but trying to keep successful programs successful. I think when you can have a, a good relationship and good alignment through as, as young as you can go, I think that makes things better. So when you're looking at trying to align things up with youth programs, what are some of the things that you guys did? or are currently doing, I guess. Well, I think ideally everybody would like for, you know, if you're running the same plays or doing that sort of thing. And I really didn't want to emphasize that as much as just placing, having all of our coaches at all levels, placing value on the same things that we place it on. Um, you know, we have core values and uh, things that we, you know, not, not exactly what we do, but more how we do it. And we want it to be on the how more than the what. And uh, so that has really been the one thing here in the first two years we really wanted to do the most. Now, number one, just to, you know, do things the way that we do it. Value, I mean, place value on the things that we think are the most important and then make it an enjoyable experience. I mean, this is a game. I mean, it's not work. I mean, it's uh, that whole the grind and all that stuff. That's such, you know, talk about, you were mentioning good cliches earlier. I think yeah. stuff like the grind and, you know, we got to work, work ourselves into this or that or the other. Oh my gosh. That is just so irritating to me as a coach, but uh, or at least just me individually. But, you know, it's, you play yourself into success. You don't work yourself into it. And that's, that's just my opinion. And in small kids, especially they are, they don't want to work. They want to come to practice and have fun. I mean, high school kids are just small children and adult bodies, and they want to have fun. So we adjusted things that we thought made the football experience miserable for children. Number one, practicing way too much for way too long and what you're practicing once you're there. And I'll give credit to a guy named P.J. Ratliff, which is our JFL president. You know, his, this was his idea during our conversation. But they go, they practice three times a week, and it's either you know, they, one day for offense, one day for defense, and the third day is a fun day. And then they play on Saturday. So it's four out of the seven days a week. We're not going six or seven days a week, and we're not playing. You know, we were playing multiple games in a weekend and in a week, and it was just burn, it's burn, burns kids out and it burns parents out. I mean, if you don't have the parents that are willing to bring their kids to practice and uh, all the activities you have, then that's just as damaging as the kids that don't want to play. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. So what, one of my assistant coaches, uh, maybe a year or two ago, he has a, his son's probably like first or second grader, young guy. And uh, they went to a camp, like a baseball camp that a, a high school had put on. And he came back to me and he was saying like the camp was awful because the coaches – you're talking about adding fun, like you're, you know, giving a whole day that's kind of fun. And he's saying this, he took his kid to this high school camp and there was no fun at all. It was just like hard work and, and, you know, the grind. Right. And so his kid comes back and he's like, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't fun at all. And he's, you know, a first or second grader, like that's their world is largely centered around having fun. And so if you're going to make a sport not enjoyable, then it's a really good way to make a kid not want to do that sport at a young age. And, and obviously in pretty much all sports, it's kind of a war of attrition and it's just trying to make kids want to come back the next year. And so if you can make a kid better at the sport and help him have enough fun that he wants to come back the next year, like you're, you're probably doing a pretty good job. I think so. There, there are power in numbers. 
and of course football more so than most sports because it requires more people. But I mean, I don't care if you're baseball and the more people you have playing, the better chance you have of having the right people playing. And so, you know, numbers mean a lot. I mean, I think that you can get a little, go a little overboard, you know, because if we have 85 kids, if we had 85 kids in our program, I mean, number one, we don't have 85 lockers. Uh, (laughs) The next one is you're probably talking about the last 15 kids just have no business playing. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I'm not, you know, you know, maybe one day we can get there, but I can just tell you that we really, that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, that's to get as many kids and retain those kids and doing whatever we need to do. I mean, like we, the, our max practice times went from whatever they were doing to an hour and a half. And so that was met with a little skepticism, but, you know, and, and there's a lot of good dad coaches out there, but for every seems like for every three good ones, there's one that is just, you know, man, he, he thinks he's coaching the 19, you know, 85 Bears. So, I mean, that's, you know, yelling at kids and all that sort of thing. And it's just – it's not – I'm not – I'm just not down with that. And we would never want someone like that coaching in our youth league. Well, it doesn't make it fun for the kids. And it also puts the parents of all those children in a really awkward situation where – you want your kid to play. You hope he's having fun, but you're watching him get yelled at, and it's not doesn't take very long for you to go. Well, this is not a fun environment. Let's see what else we can find for a kid to do that might be fun. Um, and, and so, finding coaches is tough at the youth level that are you know good quality coaches, but high school level can kind of be tough too, um, especially when you you know some of the things that we'll probably get into time and family, a couple of things you already mentioned, um, financial part of it also because no one's getting rich coaching high school high school football or, or or any sport really for that matter. And so, when you're looking at hiring and retaining assistants, what's that look like for you uh, at Greenup County? Uh, dreaded. <laughs> it's, it's tough yeah, it's yeah. really tough and our, we have a very supportive administration that tries to you know if there's someone that is going to be involved in extracurricular activity coaching no matter what the sport then you know they're going to make sure that they at least give them you know a, an opportunity to be in front of them and see if they're going to fit you know, excuse fit the mold of the type of teacher that we want uh so Again, it's just not a. There's not a lot of people. Number one, going into education, uh, it seems like a lot of people that are in it now, the applicants that we get are people that had a degree in something else, mm-hmm. and then are going back to get you know like an MAT, that Master's of Art in Teaching degree, that where you can work as you earn your teaching certificate. So it's very difficult. And then put on top of that, you want to find a person that is coaching on your staff that number one can cohabitate with, you know, five to six other guys for <laughs> yeah. a lot of time during the year. I mean, we just, uh-huh. we started on July 12th and so that's about four months that we were all together pretty much all the time. And if you don't like the people on your staff, then it's not going to work out. So it's uh, it's, it's just challenging to say the least. Well, and then we'll, we'll get into the family thing too. And I think now is probably a good time to get into it because this plays a role in it for sure. And, you know, going back to the top of the top of the conversation, I mentioned an article that I had seen, which ultimately led me to reaching out to you. Uh, And so I'll just kind of ask it holistically. Um, As a as a high school coach, I think we get put in this position of feeling like we're supposed to spend every second of every hour thinking about our high school program. And it's really easy to fall into. And and we want to do the best we can for our kids uh, that, you know, come through our program. 
Uh, and my old high school coach used to always say, he, was the, he coached at North Salem High School, and he used to always say, remember, Max, there's no North Salem heaven. There's no heaven dedicated just to your high school. And so um, just trying to really put importance on spending time with family is something that some high school coaches get get sucked in this trap where the family ends up kind of kind of being sacrificed a little bit. Um, so for you, uh, how does family play a role uh, as a coach for you? Well, I think that is one of the major reasons that when this um, coaching opportunity became available that I was willing to do it was because I want to be the one making the schedule. I don't want to work on somebody else's schedule. And I believe that the the head coach has complete control of how much time that the entire coaching staff is able to spend doing whatever they want to do, whether it be with their family or if they're, you know, maybe with a hobby or whatever the case may be. I mean, I didn't want to, even during the season. I mean, on Saturday and Sunday, our players are off. We do not do anything with our team on Saturday or Sunday. On Sunday evening, we meet for maybe you know, an hour and a half, two hours at the longest, virtually, uh, as a coaching staff. You know, we all have assignments that we complete you know, with our film work so we can give that feedback during our meeting. But I just believe that you know, five days a week during the season is enough. You know, one of those is game day. And if you can't get it done in that period of time, then you need to be uh, doing a big study on how you can be more efficient as a coach. Or maybe you're trying to do too much, or like you said, just think about it too much. But I I think we both know that no matter where you are, uh, you're going to be thinking about <laughs> what you can do better. Yeah. But you just have to be able to manage that. And you know, there's there are times – you know, I think it's idle time for me. If I'm just sitting there watching television or something and nobody else is with me, then my mind will wander to it. But if I'm engaged with whether it be my family or friends or whomever else, I pretty much can I can stay on the topic without going to football. <laughs> That's important, too. It's a good way to wear people out, especially family members, if, it's, if they're constantly having to try to pull you back in to be present. And I think it's a really important lesson for coaches to hear. Um, and so this story that I read, um, you, uh, you can kind of tell it cause you'll, you know, it a lot better than I do, but, um, you know, basic essence that I saw was essentially that, um, your daughter had a, you know, she was on the homecoming court and you wanted to be present for her. And so you ultimately did something that I think a lot of coaches are probably scared to do, which is that you left your team, you left your assistant coaches in charge and you left in the middle of a game to go be with your daughter. I don't know. You told it pretty well. Uh, so, no, I mean, it was just one of those things that, I mean, it said it in the article that, I mean, I hadn't missed anything uh, since leaving college coaching. And I, you know, wasn't going to start. And, you know, it's, I don't think the article did a good enough job explaining just kind of how the logistics of that all this worked. But, uh, a lot, of, a lot of thinking went into it, and I, I think I can't remember when it was exactly. I think it may have been three or four weeks even prior to that that uh, my wife asked me, said, you know, if uh, Macy gets on the homecoming court, what are you going to do? And I hadn't even thought about it. You know, so and that you know, shows you how in tune I am with, you know, the things going on at <laughs> high school. But, it, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but I had to think, start thinking about it real quick. So, I devised a plan, which is usually a dangerous thing uh, to, you know, we were going to one of our, when it was a district game, we were over at Ashland high school, which is predominantly the best team in this area. And um, so 
I just decided I was going to leave after the first quarter. I came up with a little timeline, kind of did a little Google map search to make sure that my time was going to be just about right and make be sure I could make it. Uh, and just decided I was going to leave after the first quarter and buzz over. Well, they are at East Carter High School now where I used to be. Uh, so it's a familiar drive, that's for sure. So I buzzed over there after the first quarter. I mean, I, kept, I took off running after the first quarter was over. And I think I said that in the article, that it was the quickest first quarter I think I'd ever been through in my life. And, you know, we were huge underdogs and we were winning after the first quarter. So all these things that I had told my family that would have had, that were going to happen because I was leaving were happening. Of course. And, and I was even, I knew a state trooper here in Kentucky that was going to give me an escort and he got called out. So I lost my escort. <laughs> so I, it was, pedal down as much as I I could possibly do it. And again, uh, Kelly, my wife, she said, you know, you know, you're fast and what other people think are fast are two different things. Cause I drive slow. So I was probably going like 53 and just, you know, white knuckling the, <laughs> the, the wheel, but I wasn't, I was, I was motoring pretty good, but it would make me pretty nervous. Cause I'm all, you know, like I said, I old, I'm old and I drive slow, but I made it. <laughs> I made it just in time. They were lined up there, and I think they were a couple minutes outside of halftime. And, you know, thankfully there are people there at their school that I know real well from my time there that really helped at least when they, they pulled some cones aside and saved me a spot right there by the gate. And so I just hopped out of there, and they said, well, you better hurry. So, again, I had to run, which is not good for me. Got a little bit of high blood pressure and overweight. And so uh, we made it. And so I asked Macy at half, I said, well, I said, what are we going to do if, if you win this thing? She goes, uh, she just goes, I guess we just walk over there. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what happened. She ended up winning. And um, her mom's the principal. So both of us ended up being out there. And, um, you know, it's just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, I guess, entertaining for everybody. But I can, from the, I was on pins and needles because number one, I was afraid I wasn't going to get there and I knew I had to get back and, um, you know, was excited for Macy cause she had won, but you know, she was pretty much on a roll of winning homecoming crowns or crowns at different games. So I figured I should have figured from the get go, she was going to win it, but, um, you know, she, we did the whole thing there at halftime and got our photo op. Unfortunately, they took a picture with her mother and I with her at midfield and I was wearing, you know, of course. The, the district rivals colors. I just came <laughs> off the sideline. And uh, then after we walked off the field, I busted in. I had enough time to recuperate where I could bust back into a run to my vehicle and jumped in the truck and drove back and got there right before the beginning of the fourth quarter. And it was tied 7-7. So, anyway, and that's how it went the rest of the night. I think it's a really cool story that I hope helps empower some coaches because I think – a lot of us, especially when we have younger kids, uh, we think, of course, that, yes, that's something I would definitely do for my kid. Um, but then you get into the logistics and the thought of leaving a game and how like sacred sometimes we make a, a high school football or baseball or soccer or whatever game be. Um, and if we take a step back for a second and remember that our family is obviously the most important thing and we'll be uh, we'll be with them forever and the, the high school kids will be fine missing out on us for a little while. But um at the moment, I'm sure it felt extremely nerve wracking and um, especially having to drive 53 miles an hour for a slow driver like yourself. 
Oh, it was it was nerve wracking. And just to give some perspective, Greenup County has not beaten Ashland since I think it was like nineteen ninety nine, maybe, and maybe not one there at Putnam Stadium where they play. I mean, for you know longer than that, I can't I can't remember exact dates, but it'd been a long time, and uh, we ended up losing fourteen to seven. But uh, you know, my the guys there on the field that they. My whole goal as a coach is to build a team where they don't need the coaches. If they can go out there, they should be able to go out there and call some of their own plays and get in their own defenses and line up because you're not out there with them. You can't. This isn't the NFL where you have the earpiece nope. uh, where you tell them, "Hey, it's a uh, you know over cover four, and hey, this is a big pass down," and then you log off. I mean, it's uh, they need to be able to manage things on the field, and they did a great job. Uh, our, our assistant coaches did a great job, and. Yeah, I, maybe I just should have stayed in the truck and listened to it. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I was bad luck going back in there. I don't. You never can tell. Yeah, maybe and if you got pull, was, pulled over on the way back, maybe they would have won the game. Who knows? I, who knows? <laughs> it's, we can just speculate at this point. Yeah. But, you know, I, I credit the whole thing just to communicating clearly uh, to our team and uh, our parents. You know, I told them exactly what was going down, and they didn't have a problem with it. And that doesn't shock me either. I think in, in our heads, too, we kind of make up this story about how people would be upset if we're missing out on, uh, you know, our, the, the game. But ultimately, like people get it. They understand. And especially if you're talking about being really good at communicating, it really shouldn't be an issue. And so, like I said, I hope I just hope that, uh, you know, just by hearing this, maybe a, a coach or two out there would be empowered to feel like, it's okay to it's okay to miss out on some things every once in a while to make sure that you're taking care of your family. Yes, and it also helps that my my kids play sports during the fall. They play soccer, and when they were in middle school, they played you know basketball. And during the fall, and so I had had to duck out a little bit early occasionally here or there, and they knew exactly why. And I think that helps. And again, I always communicated because I require them to communicate with me when they have to leave early or we have to miss. So you know, who are we as coaches, and not to give them the same uh, that they we expect from them and. Uh, I can tell you, any coach that thinks uh, or wants to build a team that can't survive without you there for just a little bit really probably isn't doing a very good job. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it, it, it should at some point become a little bit of a machine that, that can take care of itself. Uh, you mentioned that your, your kiddos go to your old high school, that your wife's also the principal there at East Carter. What's that like at home, uh, coaching at a different school and teaching at a different school than um, the rest of your family's all at all day long? It's, I don't know, it's not strange. I think we've just we've become used to it. Um, you know, we playfully talk a little trash here and there, and it's, you know, it's, it's so it, – but I think, you know, we all know that, I mean, it's, you know, usually when you talk trash, you're usually the one that it comes back on. So mm-hmm. we really don't do it as much as we maybe just little passing jabs at each other or something like that. But, you know, we don't we don't really talk about, you know, the, the differences a whole, whole lot. Um, I think we fo- we just really focus on the funny stuff. Funny stuff happens or something crazy happens. We share stories. But for the most part, Greenup County High School and East Carter High School are – the same type of student, same type of teacher. Uh, you know, there are a lot of schools in this area, which are our county schools that essentially have, they're the same. They're just separated by a few miles. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun to, to have that the little jabs every once in a while, probably a good time. Um, and I, and I, I want to ask you about this too, because it's, it's another thing where I think it'll help. Um, it'll help another coach. Uh, hopefully they won't ever be in this position, but uh, 
hopefully it'll, it'll help them if they ever find themselves in it. Um, I know you guys had a, a coach who passed away kind of suddenly um, early this year. Um, and so I, you don't need to go into necessarily the circumstances of it or anything like that, but just would you be able to share a little bit about what um, your school did um, in that situation? Because I know ultimately at some point somebody listening will have something like that happen. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, it was a unique situation, not just because of Coach Kennedy's passing, but the timing. We, with all the cool, well, I don't know how we've just done everywhere in the country, but uh, we were going, we had a little outbreak on our team. So we were essentially, I'll say shut down. We were quarantined. Our team was quarantined. Only the uh, students that had had uh, COVID-19 or had been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, were able to be at school and to be at practice. So, you know, we had about 11 people, 11 guys at practice, and the rest of them were all quarantined or sick. And so in Kentucky, at least, our state association uh, passed bylaws that when you are when you test positive, you are out a minimum of 16 days. It's 10 days for the quarantine, and then it's after that, you have to go through six day of cardiac or cardiac acclimation acclimation protocol to make sure that there's no myocarditis or any lasting effects from the virus. So it's a pretty lengthy process. So uh, Coach Kennedy, I mean, of course, his circumstances, you know, we'll get into all those, but uh, he his death happened while the team was quarantined. Uh, so the best thing that my advice to people is just to – Again, it's about communication. It's communicating. No, it was communicating with the kids that were right there that day with us at school and then getting right back on a Google Meet with the rest of the team and having to share the news with them, you know, virtually, which was much worse than it would have been if we were able to be in person. Uh, but then after that, our school system closed. I can't remember for two or three days. Uh, but it was just because of the outbreak and I think because of coach's death, you know, they felt it best just to try to get people home, try to keep people healthy. And there were a lot of people that were hurting too, because coach was a health teacher at our school and there were a lot of kids that thought a lot of him. So they offered, of course, counseling, but you know, when school's not in, you're not going to get a lot of traffic coming in the school. I don't care what the circumstances are. And so we just had tried to stay in constant contact. I want to say constant, um, but we wanted to contact our players often, just checking in and make sure they're okay. I have a parent chat with our parents on our team that, you know, I was, you know, just making things aware to them that were available and also just to please continue to check on them uh, to make sure that, you know, sometimes they just want to talk a little bit and all you have to listen is a minute and a half of listening. That's all they want. So just to encourage the parents to stay in contact with their, with their kids, even though, you know, they're at work and their kids quarantined. And so there was, there were a lot of moving parts, but uh, through the collective effort of a lot of people, we were able, I think, to manage the situation as best we possibly could and do it in a way that I think honored coach Kennedy's life, but also uh, were able to meet the needs of all the people that were affected. That's one of the really difficult things about high schools is, you know, if, if there is a passing of, of somebody, a student or a coach or a teacher, um, there's there's just a community that you have. And so you mentioning that, that people were didn't get to really be around each other because of quarantine and COVID and everything that goes with that makes things it just makes things so much more difficult because 
so often when the something horrible like that does happen, um, the whole community kind of comes together and the high school ends up being kind of the rallying place for all of that. And so you mentioning, of course, that there wasn't going to be much traffic at the high school makes a lot of sense and just makes probably the situation a little bit more difficult. But um, yeah, not an easy thing to go through, I'm sure. No, it wasn't. And we love He's uh, thought very highly of by a lot of people. And uh, it was just one of the things that made the 2021 season pretty challenging. But again, that's, you know, I, you know, it's another cliche thing, but to expect some form of adversity because once you start feeling too good about things, you know, something is going to happen. The tests, uh, really, I think your mental and emotional toughness. I'm not saying you have to tough through everything, but um, you have to deal with it. And to me, that's what mental toughness is about, is being able to deal with it and cope with things, even if it means, you know, with, with help. Absolutely. And sometimes mental toughness is having the ability to ask for help too when you need it, which is a really important thing for people to to kind of grasp too. So um, switching a little bit uh, to what you just talked about, so kind of the, the season itself. So you, you know, you mentioned a couple times that last night when we're recording this, last night was the kind of the final game of the year. So when you look at um, like celebrations and, and happy moments with the team uh, or senior celebrations or anything like that, what are some things that pop out at you for um, the 2021 season? What are some kind of the bright spots that you guys had? Well, it, <laughs> I have to forgive me for laughing. But, I mean, I'm not laughing because of this, but you have to laugh to keep from crying. But it was we we finished the season uh, 0-9. We had a couple of COVID cancellations, and we had to play a game with one day of practice in two weeks. Uh, we had to play a game with where half of our team got three days, the other half got one day, and that was a Thursday before the game. Uh, so we were we worked at a deficit all year long, and plus with a very inexperienced team. I, mean, we, I think we had one skill player on the whole team that had played meaningful snaps at that time. And then we replaced, I think it was nine of 11 defensive starters. And it was, three of them were the guys that uh, it was their first year playing football. So it was just the position we were in at the time. Yeah, and we were able to gain some guys on the team uh, as the, as the early in the season progressed. And honestly, I think that, uh, you know, coach Kennedy's passing really, affected some kids that had stopped playing and that came back out for whatever reason. And even Coach Kennedy's uh, uh, widow and I, we were laughing about it because it sounds exactly like something he would have said. But, you know, he would have said, hey, if it would have taken me dying for to get you guys back out, I'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but exactly like something he would have said. He was kind of just a – he was one of those he, – he, didn't he just kind of give you a little smirk with that kind of stuff? But um, the high points, I think, are just see, seeing guys develop, have some success on the field. I mean, you have to take success in different areas when you don't have it on the field as far as wins go. Uh, but it's, you know, we coined this season kind of a reunion season because of all these guys that came back out, some of them that were in the 11th, you know, 11th graders that hadn't played since they were in the eighth grade. And so – that was the best way we could describe it. It was a reunion season. And there were some pretty good athletes in there too, but, you know, football is not a game that you can lay down for three years and pick back up and say, Hey, I'm right where I was. You know, let's <laughs> just, it. let's just get to keep it going. But, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I think there's personal growth for all the, all the players and seeing, you know, our JV guys and our freshmen, the, the, 
the strides and the improvement they made throughout the year. And really, just, I think a lot of it, too, is uh, listening, listening to our players and what they say at practice to one another and how they carried themselves in the school. And I think that our student body and our teachers uh, really got a newfound respect for the kids in our program just because of the way not only they conducted themselves at school, but because they were able to overcome a lot of things this season and they battled through it. And, you know, we didn't, we weren't a team that, um, you know, we got down and it was one of those things where you, you know, tuck your tail and we just took our beating. I mean, they were very competitive losses and, you know, I, I think people respect that. And I know the opponents respected it. And after playing a couple of home games, our, our fans, and like I said, the students and everybody, they, uh, you know, I don't, I hear, absolutely zero negative talk about our team. And to me, that says a lot about the respect that people have for them. And I, that's the biggest, if anything, that's the biggest success from this season that any win could have brought us. Well, yeah, you mentioned earlier that one of the, one of the first moves or I don't know, mindset uh, changes or shifts that you were trying to put into place when you took over a few years ago um, was to build, uh, to build a football community and the the things you're mentioning to me just now, especially about the fans being there and seeing it and supporting it and not hearing negative things. Um, it sounds like progress is certainly being made in that regard, right? Absolutely. It's being made. There's, there are certain things too, that we're going to try to do to, you know, we're, we want to in a healthy way, brainwash every kid <laughs> that we can. Yeah. And you know, it includes things like, you know, when a kid starts in kindergarten, starts school in Greenup County, we want to make sure that, they know they're, you know, they're a musketeer and there's nothing better than being a musketeer. And we want to give every kid that starts kindergarten a Greenham County musketeer t-shirt. We want to make sure that that's, you know, whenever it's time to wear their t-shirt, that they're wearing it. And that you know, even though they're not, you know, a long ways away from being, uh, you know, at, at the high school, that they're identifying as musketeers. And also that our you know male population is they we want as many male athletes as possible identifying as football players. So if I were to go into a fourth grade classroom as the head football coach and say, hey, how many football players we have in here? That, you know, a lot of hands go up, a lot of kids stand up. And even though they might play some other sports, which is great, and we highly encourage it, that we want guys really taking a lot of pride in, in being a musketeer football player. So that's the kind of the next step of where we need to go. And that's the type of thing that is going to make it, you know, impossible in the future to experience a winless season is when you get those numbers we talked out and you get the right kids playing and really build a lot of excitement and build more of the football community or higher level football community uh, that we're trying to build right now. I think you're onto something with the the youth part, especially and it sounds kind of silly, but even just having, like you mentioned, just having them even have a shirt that has the Musketeers on it. I know that for us, we're the the South Salem High School Saxons. And so I know for us, anytime I, I can get uh, our Saxon baseball logo uh, and have a kid wearing it, um, no matter how young they are, I think that's a really good thing because I think uh, on the back end, obviously that pays off huge because if I can build that into you now, like you're mentioning the idea of brainwashing and I, I've got a good chuckle out of it because I think it's true. If I can brainwash them and, and make them really believe um, that this is the place to be, and it is, um, I think that long-term you're going to have less kids transferring to other schools. You're going to have more kids growing up wanting to go to the football games every Friday night at Greenup County High School. I think like long-term that vision really plays itself out. 
And it starts with something as simple as, as you're talking about, just even putting a T-shirt on a kid that has the Musketeers football logo on it, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's kids will – there's nobody more passionate, I think, about anything than an elementary school student <laughs> or a little kid. And when you yeah. – hey, you're a Musketeer and there's nothing better than being a Musketeer and anything less than that, anything other than that just isn't as good. And they're going to they, – they will buy in and they will be – your most your your strongest fan, your most loyal fan, and we had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go uh, to our uh, Grace Branch Elementary, which is right next door to the high school, and uh, having what they we sang the fight song. They sing the fight song every Friday morning at our elementary school. So we went over there, and then, of course our guys had their football stuff on and stood with the kids and sang the fight song, and it was it was really cool and. So that these are all steps in the right direction, and we have a lot of principals at those other schools that are definitely willing to do whatever we can. If we can make it happen, if it's realistic, then we will make it happen in order to try to build, you know, a, just a better community overall. Because, like you, I think you mentioned this before, that the schools should the schools should be the centers of the community, and that's what people really should be taking pride in. The school, the, the and every activity associated with the school, whether it be football or whatever the case may be. And so I think if we can build a great football community here, it'll lay, it kind of create a template for other people to follow and to do the same thing in their sports and just our schools overall. And there's something special and different about football. I, I don't coach football, but there is something that's just a little bit different where if the football team is something that the community is proud of, that people go to those games, that little kids are running, they're probably not even paying attention to the game when they're there, but they're there and they're running around having a blast. There's something that's a little bit different about football being, being a a place that people want to be at the high school than there is about other sports. I don't know. We could get into what it is, but there's just something different, something special about football. So when you can build a really good community around the football team for a high school. I think what you're kind of mentioning is it makes all the other sports better, makes all the other activities better. It makes the high school better, the community better. Uh, and I, like I said, I don't know what it is, but I, I know that it is, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. I really, as a football quote unquote guy, I believe it's the limited opportunity to watch a football team. You know, you're going to get maybe at you know, you know at least five home games a year at most maybe seven, and if it's you know anything past five, it's a high stakes game and you're hosting playoff games and there's a lot of excitement behind those anyway. And everybody wants to go to those, but because there are only five guaranteed opportunities to watch the football team every year, I think that's what makes it a bigger deal. I don't think it's that. People value football maybe more than the other sports, but when there's 35 basketball games and you know 18 of them are at home, I mean, dang on, no, and they're during the week, most of them, and people are tired. You know, Friday is the weekend, and people are done working, and that makes them feel good already anyway. And I think if more sports would maybe take the approach of, you know, wearing out a Friday, then I think that they'll have a little better, you know, maybe a little bit better success of bringing people in, but. I think you're right. Just football involves more people and it's less frequent. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I know for me personally, I'm very invested in our football team being good and successful because we run a, a baseball operated concession stand at our home football games. So the more people we can get out, the more money our baseball team ends up with. And, and that makes that makes me pretty happy, too, on the back end. Um, anyway, Zach, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, I, I, I just seeing your 
seeing your story and even though it might not seem like a big deal, it really is. And I hope that it helps empower some coaches to make similar decisions for their families and for themselves and for their kids. Because I think, like I've said before, um, your family's going to be there till the end and the high school team is going to not be there forever. And I don't know, it just, I think it's so important, but uh, before I let you go, uh, if there's anything we missed, if there's any, I don't know, any advice you'd give, it doesn't really matter. Shout outs. I don't really care anything you want to do. Uh, but I just wanted to give you the microphone at one last time to do with it, whatever, whatever you feel like doing. Oh gosh. I mean, that's pretty dangerous. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only thing to say to keep stay on topic here is that, you know, time is the one thing that you're never going to get back. And, I know coaches are fiercely loyal to their teams and to their schools, and that shouldn't be lost in what I'm about to say. But uh, as you pointed out, your family, of course, is you go home to your family. Um, you're one bad season away from your school disowning you. So that loyalty, if we're, if we're ranking loyalty, um, that your school and your sport should never be – you know, your top priority or your top, you know, the rank top near the list of your top uh, things you should be loyal to. Um, we're going to be as coaches anyway, but I think that's what helps me prioritize it because I've been through it. I know I understand the sports game and I understand that you have to win and you have to be productive. And if you're not as a coach, then they're going to find somebody that will be, or at least that will, you know, try to do better than you. And so I hope all coaches can, take that from this deal is that you know, loyalty is a fickle thing when you're talking about coaching. Uh, usually it's just the player, the coaches to the players in this school. And, you know, hopefully it's reciprocated, but uh, that can deteriorate quickly. But, you know, family, that's a, uh, that, that's a type, that's a tight bond right there that doesn't need to be, uh, okay. I don't want to, I don't know the word, the proper word to use here, but you know, we, it's, it's something that, uh, should not be minimized and should not take a back seat to anything else. That's a beautiful way to put it. And I, I agree with you completely. And we see it all the time when coaches are getting uh, fired left and right for, for our teams not performing up to standards. And um, yeah, you're right. We're always, we're, all, we're, we're never more than one bad season away. And sometimes in some cases, even, even half of a bad season is enough for some coaches and, and programs to make uh, some pretty harsh decisions. And so um, you're right, man, loyalty to families, everything. And uh, like I said, can't thank you enough for, for joining me today. And I uh, just really appreciate you, especially coming off uh, the last game of the year last night. And here we are the next morning doing this thing. So um, that's not lost on me. I appreciate it a ton and appreciate you and just can't thank you enough. Max, thanks so much. It's been enjoyable. And uh, yeah, this podcast, I just, of course, didn't know about it until you uh, messaged me, but I now follow it and be, uh, I'd love, love to listen to um, you know more of your episodes. Thanks a lot. And uh, of course, uh, who knows here? I got another daughter that's just a freshman this year, so we might be doing this again here in three more years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. She's got to beat out her older sister and win that same thing too, or else she'll be she'll forever be the the butt of the joke from her older older siblings. I'm sure that's hilarious. Right, so it'll be you know just to be round two. We've been there, done that now, so we know how to do it. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zach. Have a great weekend. Thank you. 
Zach Moore made a pledge to himself and his family that he wasn't going to miss his daughter's events, and it's pretty clear that he's doing his best to live up to that. It's refreshing to hear, and I'm optimistic that it will hopefully give you the courage to prioritize your own family and still continue making a difference in your students' athletes' lives. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some high school coaches club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts. And wherever you're listening, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you have found any value at all from this episode, and let's be honest, if you listened, you got value from it, please share this on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better. That's how we keep growing the club. And around and around we go. Huge fist bump to Zach Moore for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus, of course, for sponsoring the episode. And to you, definitely to you, for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me. And don't be shy. Even if the recommendation is yourself, go ahead and send it to me. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as my guy, Coach Lee, would say, loving you.